One of my favorite songs is A Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Two of my favorite portions of the song are as follows. O come, thou root of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save, give them victory o'er the grave. O come, desire of nations bind, and won the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad division cease, and be thyself our king of peace. Peace, not simply the cessation of hostilities, but true and ultimate flourishing. Perhaps you've heard of the word shalom, which often translates as peace, but it means so much more than simply we're not fighting anymore. It means that we have found wholeness in our relationships with our God, with one another, and with ourselves. Peace. What would it be like if we were to experience this true and abiding peace? We see in the scriptures this longing for peace. It comes up all the time, this longing for true and ultimate human flourishing. And Christmas is a time in which we are reminded of the need for a bringer of peace. Last week, we, uh, uh, Pastor Rick shared from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, I'm going to ask us to put that on the screen because there's a couple of things uh, in Matthew 1 that I wanted to draw our attention to, and then we will be in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 and on. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Isaiah 7, uh, 10 and on, and we'll, we'll be there in just a minute. But before we get there, I want to show you why we're going there, because Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, He says something that's uh, fascinating to me. Okay, so check this out. We've got it up on the screen. So he says this. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus. So this is uh, God speaking to Joseph, okay? Okay, so Mary uh, is going to have a kid by the power of the Holy Spirit. The virgin will conceive, and you're going to call his name what? Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this, Matthew says in verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And here it is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. No one's gasping. We're going to try that again. You've heard this before, haven't you? Let me me ask you a question. Just, you know, whatever. Do virgins generally conceive and still maintain the categorical title of virgin? That does not happen, okay? So, remember, read that again, and you ought to have a proper response. Here we go. Uh, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they, see, there we are. See, we blitz right through that at Christmas. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, two questions, one quickly answered, and the other we'll spend the rest of the sermon on. Number one, there's two names here. Number one, what are we going to call that baby? Jesus. Jesus. And that's generally what people call Jesus. They called him Jesus. Okay, so here's what it says. You are going to call, you, Joseph and Mary, you name the baby Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. 
But here it says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which we find out means God with us. Now, we do not have, generally speaking, uh, as far as I could tell, we do not have people walking up to Jesus saying, uh, pardon me, Emmanuel. They say, pardon me, Jesus. Okay? So why is uh, the author of the Gospel of Matthew giving us these two names? This is fascinating, right? So like, uh, a lot of us have middle names. Uh, some of us will have titles in our name. Uh, some of us will have like the first, second, third, or junior, things like that. But here now, Jesus is given kind of two names. Number one, Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. Number two, they, probably meaning us, will call him Emmanuel, which is God with us. Now, Matthew says this is to fulfill what God had spoken before by the prophet Uh, And we know that this prophet is Isaiah, which gets us to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Let me give you a little backstory. So the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is a song chronicling the history that you see recorded in Scripture. In the Old Testament, you have consistently promises of God that he will bless the nations through his people Israel and a constant and abiding longing for that promise to be made true. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. O come, thou root of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. Root of Jesse, what are we talking about? Well, one of the things that you see in the Old Testament is there's this dude named Jesse, And Jesse had some kids, and one of those kids was named David. And you might recognize that name David because David was the dude who killed Goliath. You remember Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum? Y'all remember that scenario, right? And uh, Goliath is coming in, and David's like a shepherd boy, and through the power of God, he kills uh, Goliath. Some of you guys are familiar with that story. Y'all familiar? Some of you guys are familiar with that story? Okay, David becomes king over a nation called Israel, okay? O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. David is king over a nation called Israel. And David is, his kingship leads to the pinnacle of Israel's power because God God promised, remember promises of God throughout the Old Testament, God promised to Abraham, one of David's forefathers, hundreds of years before, he told this dude named Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation so that you will be a blessing to all the nations. Then fast forward from Abraham to David. David in the Davidic kingdom. David is the king over Israel, and Israel is at its height of power. But David and his progeny see the fall. Eventually you find that David's kingdom, through whom God has promised to bless all the nations of the earth, you find that David's kingdom has been fractured into two. Two different kingdoms now, Israel and Judah. How many kingdoms? One of them's called Israel, the other one's called Judah. Judah now, we're fast forwarding again to Isaiah's time, okay? So you're roughly 700, 750 BCE, okay? So you have here, in Isaiah's time, the king of, not Israel, because Israel is already uh, done for, you have the king uh, of Judah, his name is Ahaz, and Ahaz 
He has some problems. I've embarrassed myself. I've defiled this pulpit and I apologize. Ahaz, he has some problems because Ahaz is from the line of David and he is over this kingdom of Judah that's part of the fractured kingdom and it's looking bad because Ahaz is between a rock and a hard place. What Ahaz is facing in Isaiah 7 as the king of Judah is this almost impossible question because what's going on in Ahaz's life in this time is that there is Israel and Syria, two different nations now, who have bound themselves together and are going to war with another nation called Assyria. Okay, so Israel, Syria, and Assyria, they're at war and they're both looking to Judah Ahaz is the king of Judah. They're both looking to Judah saying, whose side are you going to pick? Now, Ahaz is faced with this, this lesser of two evils question. How will I provide for myself and my people peace in light of this reality? Uh, I'll read Isaiah 7, 10 through 17. I'm going to read it all, then we'll go back and hit up some of the uh, key points. Uh, this is Isaiah 7, uh, uh, excuse me, 7, 10 through 17. We can put it up on the screen as well. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and again, this is through Isaiah. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord God to the test. He said, so this is speaking of Isaiah. He said, hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men? Do you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give to you a sign. Hold on, wait a minute, here we go. Does this sound familiar? The Lord's gonna give to you a sign? It's gonna get real familiar. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We've heard that before, haven't we? I mean, haven't we? We just, we literally just heard it. You guys heard that before? Yeah, okay, come on. You guys gotta help me out here. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land of the two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the land of Assyria." This is the word of the Lord. Now, most of us did not engage in this text in our daily devotions this morning. And for many of us, myself included, this seems really strange. I don't recognize most of these names. I'm not super familiar with these different countries. I don't really know what's going on in the world in 700 BC. I mean, do you? You know a little bit. I read some books, and so now I know a little bit, and I'd like to share that with you. Ahaz is stuck between a rock and an Assyrian hard place. And what God says through Isaiah to Ahaz, trust me. Do not align yourself with Syria and Israel and do not align yourself with Assyria. Rather, forego all alliances and simply ally yourself with me, your God. Now that's easy peasy lemon squeezy when ain't nothing going wrong in your life. But it's very difficult when you have two enemies looming, threatening your peace. In fact, in verse 2 of Isaiah 7, it says that when the people and Ahaz heard of these two warring factions that were upon them, the hearts of the people and the hearts of Ahaz shook 
as trees shake before a great wind. Have you ever seen a tree in a thunderstorm, in a hurricane, just being knocked around? You guys have seen that, right? Have you ever felt that? Right, when the doctor calls, when your adult child calls, when you get that report, when you get the news, when the boss calls you into her office, when you open the envelope. Have you ever experienced a heart that shakes like trees in a hurricane? See, we pine for peace. We long for peace. And in the absence of peace, we are like trees tossed around in a hurricane. And God comes to Ahaz and says to Ahaz, don't ally yourself with either of these lesser of two evils. Rather, simply trust in me. And that's easy to do when nothing's going wrong. It's easy to do when there's no enemies outside the gate. But let me ask you, do you find it really easy to trust in the Lord when everything seems to be absolutely out of control? When you hear about war or rumors of wars, when you hear the word nuclear used, do you find that it is easy to trust in the Lord? You have here in Ahaz this dilemma that we all face. Where will we place our trust? Now, Isaiah goes to Ahaz and says, put your trust in the Lord. In fact, Ahaz says, or excuse me, Isaiah says to Ahaz, you, Ahaz, you should test the Lord. The Lord invites Ahaz, test me in this. I will be faithful to you. I've made promises to you that through David's line, the nations of the world will be blessed. You, Ahaz, you test me. And this is what Ahaz does. Now, <clears throat> this is squirrely. Now, uh, let me just ask. Um, I don't have anyone in particular in mind, but if you were to consider, in general, stereotypically, what you know to be true about um, governmental leaders is there sometimes a tendency to get a little squirrely or slippery with words? Does that ever cross your mind that maybe someone who's a leader in government might, might take some words and use them at a certain angle in order to justify themselves but you know, still sound like they're good? Is that... I mean, have you guys read a book? I mean, you guys know that this is a thing, right? Ahaz does that. In fact, what Ahaz does is quite slippery. God says, I've promised you, do not pick these lesser of two evils. Trust in me. And what Ahaz does is he says, I ain't got no time for trust, Lord. That's hard. God says, put me to the test. And this is what Ahaz says. I will not put the Lord my God to the test. See, God's calling him, test me in this. And Ahaz quotes scripture back to God saying, no, I'm not gonna put you to the test. And in fact, what we see that Ahaz does is he puts his faith in Assyria. How many of us find it very difficult when trying to make a choice where our peace is at stake to trust in the Lord? 
God says, all right, through Isaiah, God says, you want to ask for a sign? It doesn't matter. I'm going to give you a sign. You ain't got no time for me? Watch this. Verse 13, and he said, Hear then, O house of David. Now, he's speaking to who? Ahaz, right? Who's the king of not Israel, but Judah. And God promised to their forefather, David, that he would bless all the nations through David's line. Y'all with me? Now look at the name he gives to Ahaz. Hear then, O house of David. Okay, that's a, that's a wake-up call right there. Hey, remember from whence you came. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Now here's what Isaiah says. He doesn't say the weary your God. Ahaz has drawn the line. God is not my God. Military might and prowess are my God. And what Ahaz decides dooms Judah. For there will at that time be a young maiden or a virgin who bears a son. And by the time that child is old enough, this is what the rest of seven says, by the time that child is old enough to decide right from wrong, you guys heard that, right? He's going to pick the way of good or evil. By the time that child at that moment in King Ahaz's day is old enough to decide right from wrong, it will be laid to waste. These nations that you fear will no longer be fearsome. In fact, they will no longer be. And one of the things that we note is these nations that Ahaz is concerned about are laid to waste. And Judah comes undone, partially because of its alliance with Assyria. We are tempted too often Okay, let's get real for a minute. Like, what, what do we care about Assyria and Ahaz, right? Like, what does that have to do with me? I'm glad you asked. We are often too easily swayed to put our faith and hope for true peace and flourishing in the power of princes and queens. We are too easily swayed to hope utterly and completely in the promises of those in power to bring about peace. But there are two absolutely quantifiable realities as you look down the corridors of history. Number one, any leader that promises peace, even the leaders who bring about peace, it is never a complete peace. For there are always in every nation those on the margins who are abandoned, betrayed, and abused. Even in the Pax Romana, which many of us recognize from our Western Civ class, even in that long peace, the Pax Romana was stained in blood. Oh, you can get peace for some. What we also know to be true is that there are those who will strive to sway those who follow them through fear-mongering. We must beware the enemy. I can keep you safe. Turn a blind eye to the injustices I do so you can be safe. The picking of lesser of two evils, right? King Ahaz had in mind his peace and the peace of his people and instead of allying with the Lord, which was a risk and a total step of faith, he aligned himself with Assyria and was destroyed. 
you have here this reality that it is too easy, it is often too easy for us to believe in the fear-mongering. One of my favorite bands is um, Pink Floyd. By the way, in, in church settings, generally speaking, if you agree with something, you say amen. So let me start over. One of the best bands that ever walked the face of the earth is Pink Floyd. There we go, thank you. And one of their famous songs is Us and Them. The song speaks to the propensity that we all have to divide the world into two categories, us and them. And the tendency is that the them need to die for the sake of the us. But here is the question. How many thems need to be eliminated before you will find peace? Because no matter how many thems you eliminate, you wake up the next day, you're gonna find that the smaller grouping of people that are still in existence are now subdividing themselves into us and them. Even in our own households. Hmm? So in my household at movie night, we practice this. Because my son and I vote for Star Wars. My oldest daughter and my wife vote for not Star Wars. And they leverage my one and a half year old, Gabriella, to vote by proxy, us and them. There was a great philosophical movie that came out recently called Zootopia. (laughs) Oh, you don't think it was philosophical? It was great. Y'all seen Zootopia? Anybody seen Zootopia? Okay, I'll give you a quick synopsis. Zootopia is utopia for the zoo animals. And what you have in this utopia for zoo animals is you have the world divided into two basic categories, us and them. You have the two basic categories, carnivore, What? Herbivore or herbivore, depending on your fancy. And what you see is a group of people living in peace and harmony, but then one of the leaders, see this is the whole, I'm a spoiler alert, one of the leaders steps in, in order to gain more prominence and power, begins to sow seeds of division within the citizenry, basically accusing the carnivores of turning and telling all the herbivores, you have got to worry about them. And you have the uprising of the citizenry saying, that's right, get them, get them, get them. Us and them. It turns out that it was a herbivore at the top of power that was manipulating the situation in order to gain more power and prominence. To play on the fears of individuals in order to have them turn a blind eye to the evils that were being done. Y'all with me? Now, as citizens of the kingdom of God, one must, and I know not all of us here are Christians. If you're a Christian, uh, if you're not a Christian here today, I'm so glad that you're here because you get to eavesdrop on us talking about this. And let me tell you, there is an awful lot, oh boy, there is an awful lot of confusion as to what it means to be a follower of Christ specifically now. Because I keep hearing that to be a follower of Jesus means that you're in a certain political ideology or a certain voting block. And I don't, I don't know where that comes from. I keep reading through the scriptures. I haven't found it yet. And so let's all pump the brakes for a minute. And let me just say something. Okay, let's get real. 
So for those of us that are Christians, if it is true that we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God, which covers not just this nation, but all the nations. By the way, there's no such thing as a Christian nation. Jesus did not come to save political parties. He came to save people of whom all the world is full of. And the scripture also says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Which means this, if you don't like other countries, you're gonna be angry in heaven (laughs) because they're gonna be there. Everyone thinks that the street signs in heaven are written in English. I stole that from a friend. I want to give him credit. When our peace is threatened, we run too quickly to the promises of leaders who ask us to turn a blind eye to justice, grace, and truth in order to secure a partial peace for ourselves. I'm not saying that we should not support those in power. You guys gotta hear me. I I want you to pay real close attention to what I'm saying here. Where is your hope for peace found? The scripture says this in the Psalms, trust not in kings. Place not your hope in kings for your peace. For when they perish, Their plans perish with them. We need a king who is imperishable in order to bring about a true peace for all. I was with uh, a friend of mine who's a reporter for uh, a national publication, spends a lot of time with uh, people in power in our nation, and one of the things he said to me was quite sobering. He said, I'm running around with our best, our brightest, and our most powerful. And every day, I am reminded that they are completely incapable to usher in the kingdom of God, regardless of their promises. Where is your hope for peace? Who do you trust for your ultimate and eternal flourishing? Matthew has these same longing. By the way, Matthew, who's writing uh, this gospel of Matthew, he, he's writing as a citizen of an occupying force, namely Rome. He knows what it's like to long for peace for your people. And here in Matthew, he says, okay, so this is what Matthew, uh, chapter one, verse 21, she will bear a son, his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I said this was a two-part promise. In Isaiah 7, God gives to Ahaz this sign, a virgin will bear a son. Of course, it had its application for Ahaz in that moment, namely that you made the wrong choice, bro, and by the time any one of these babies is old enough to determine right from wrong, your kingdom is done. But that promise was left unfilled. 700 years go by, and a baby is born in a manger. And Matthew looks upon that and says, finally, that promise that God made to Ahaz has become true. Finally, we have a king who is imperishable. We have 
the Lord of a peaceable kingdom. This is the description that Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus shows up, gives about Jesus' kingdom. You ready? This is Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. I think we'll put it up on the screen. Isaiah 6 through 9. Here's what I would ask you to do. I would ask that you would allow for your imagination to run wild with this imagery. This is speaking of Jesus' kingdom. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child will lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. What is that a description of? Peace. A peaceable kingdom. An eternal kingdom at rest. You and I, for those of us that follow after Jesus, we are called citizens of that kingdom. How does it come about? I told you my favorite song was O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which means, what does Emmanuel mean? It means God, it's up there. Okay, this, this could be anything. Notice it's not God against us or God away from us or God is us. By the way, if we're God, we're screwed. It's God what? How does the king inaugurate his kingdom? Through military prowess? No. Through economic domination? No. Through a robust social network? No. The king inaugurates his kingdom. God takes on flesh and is born in a manger. Christmas is a vivid reminder that you and I are citizens of a kingdom of peace. How will we experience true and abiding peace? Only when the hearts of us all are changed and transformed. And that's the gospel that God took on flesh, lived among us, subjecting himself to every toil and suffering that you and I could imagine. And on Good Friday, he died to atone for our sins. And on Easter, he rose from the grave, conquering over Satan, sin, and death, so that you and I, right now, in this moment, in the midst of kingdoms of darkness, pain, and despair, in the midst of those, we can live empowered as citizens of a peaceable kingdom. Jesus never promises that we will not suffer. Jesus never promises that we will not experience fear. Jesus never promises that we will not die. Jesus promises that we will rise from the grave and we will live eternal in a peaceable kingdom. O come, thou root of Jesse, free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. Isaiah 7 
excuse me, 11.10 says this. I just gave you a quick glimpse out of Isaiah 11 of his peaceable kingdom. This is how he concludes that particular portion. This is verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for, okay, you tell me, for who people? Including the ones that you want to blow up. Including the ones that you despise. Including the ones that disgust you. Including the ones that cause you fear. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all the peoples, of him shall the nations. Is it a select group of nations or like all of them? The nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. O come, desire of nations, bind in one the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad divisions cease and be thyself our king of peace the church three final thoughts the church is a glimpse of christ's binding of the nations we have dozens of nations of origins represented in this church family the majority of us have nothing in common with the other group we have very little in common as a church family except for jesus the church shows the world the unifying and binding power of the gospel to bring people together in a peaceable kingdom. Two, bid thou our sad divisions cease. We now have the power to make peace with our enemies. Who are the people that you need to forgive? And who are the people that you need to ask forgiveness of? You have the power, Christ in you, to seek to be at peace. Be thyself our king of peace in the midst of chaos. There are so many things that I fear for my children, my wife, myself. I find that there are many times that I feel like a kid on a boat without an anchor tossed around in a storm. But Christmas reminds me that I have a king who holds the universe together with the word of his power, who says he loves me. And in the midst of that chaos, he gives me the strength to seek him and find peace. He does not promise that I will not suffer. He does not promise that I will not experience fear. He does not promise that I will not die. But he promises to work all things together for my eternal peace and good. Do you have a king like that? If you've turned to Jesus, you do. And Christmas is a reminder that now in the midst of the chaos, we can rest as, as citizens of a kingdom of peace. The Gospel of Matthew starts with the word Emmanuel, which means God with us, and the Gospel of Matthew ends with Jesus looking at those who follow him and saying, behold, I am with you always. Let's pray. Let's pray.